This is Just a Few Questions. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Dr. Sean Anthony Robinson. Dr. Robinson is a senior research associate in Wisconsin's Equity and Inclusion Laboratory at the University of Wisconsin, Madison. How are you, Dr. Robinson? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you told me you're walking your dog, which is all good. We're going to have fun with this little podcast and just have fun right. walking the dog at the same time, which, is, right, really thank co- you. which is really cool. Uh, Dr. Right. Robinson, you understand dyslexia very well. So, Dr. Yes. Robinson, what is dyslexia? Uh, you know, the simplest terms to put it, you know, for somebody who's lived it before, um, it's really having the inability to understand the sounds in our language. Right, onset rhyme. So, so for example, if I ask the student to spell the word "boat," would they understand that it's "b o t"? There's three sounds before letters. The O and the A make a long O sound, and then if I ask them to drop the B and put a C in front of it, would they understand that that word is "coat"? So, it's really having an understanding of our sound structure and having that awareness of sounds uh, and how, how sounds have distinctive, you know differences like the o and the a in both is o so they really have to understand how our language is constructed and how they can really um you know put it together take it apart like a puzzle right i mean as, as our mind as me as someone with dyslexia once i learned how to crack the code uh, you know i was able to then understand how to phonetically pronounce words uh pronounce them spell them read them but then it's just not that it's also comprehension too right so if i'm unable to pronounce or spell the word in a sentence then it also interrupts my fluency my comprehension i'm guessing at words i might be jumping around and you know i'm losing out on a whole bunch of knowledge because i'm unable to crack the code if that makes sense well dr robinson you you're like a lot of students i know you went to a, a elementary school i believe in uh, wilmette which is just you know north of chicago yeah. And so you understand the Chicago area very well. But I don't care where you go to school. There are students in school right now who struggle with dyslexia and don't yeah. know they have it. So when did you discover you had dyslexia? Uh, my mom actually discovered it when I was going into my uh, my senior high school uh, because, you know, I was just labeled a angry, you know, behavioral child. And, you know, no different than a lot of students, especially particularly African-Americans. You know, I put it out there. Uh, you know, I was. In special ed, had an IEP and mostly was behavioral, but I had some excellent teachers. And she found a, a program at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh for adult learners with uh, learning disabilities. And she got me uh, tested when I was going into my senior year. And uh, the professor who tested me said I was one of the most illiterate kids he's ever met in his life, and that uh, I had been failed by the system. And it wasn't my fault that I had a lot of a lot of potential, I had a lot of gifts to offer to the world, and that uh, he saw all that under my layer of anger and told me that he wanted to uh, help me, teach me how to read. And he accepted me to his program. And once he taught me how to read, I became a sponge. And um, I never stopped loving school or loving to read or learn because, it, you know, it was liberating. And it also opened a lot of doors in my life that I don't think I would have had if I wasn't taught to read, if that makes sense. You know, no, It makes a lot of sense. But, Dr. Robinson, you were going to a really good school district. That's like the Nutria School District or something in Well Met. And you're, and you're a stone. You're like a short walk away, relatively short walk from uh, from Northwestern University. How, yeah. how did you fall through the cracks? Uh, you know, I, I can't speak on that. But, you know, um, 
you know, I got kicked out my sophomore year. I went to a, a turn of high school, you know, but I had some, I got to say this. I know we're short with time. I had some great teachers in high school. I had some phenomenal teachers I, I talked to today. You know, they, they weren't able to teach me how to read, but what they taught me was how to love myself. I think that was most important. But, you know, the system itself, is, as you know, is not designed for kids of color. Let's just put it out there. It's not, it's not designed unless you have the capital to navigate it. And, uh, you know, like any student now in, in 2021, you know, they're graduating high school, but they're reading at a third, fourth grade level. I mean, what are they supposed to do in their in their life if they can't navigate a world that's all full of literacy, right? And so, um, same thing, you know, uh, my high school counselor told my mother that, that college was another option for me, that, you know, that I would never be successful. And my mother was like, no, 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 my son's going to be successful. And so she did all the legwork and she filled out all my applications, my FAFSA forms, my college essay, because I was really too illiterate to do it. And so um, once I got in college and the professor just, you know, poured love into me and taught me how to read, you know, uh, it was uh, it was just a life-changing experience, you say, you know, if that makes sense. But the thing about it that you used to, I watched some of your videos on, online, it's, you said it took you like six years just to get your undergrad? Yeah, because I had to, I had to, uh, I had to, well, yeah, six years because I had to do everything that I missed in the K-12 system. So I was in a lot of lower remedial uh, developmental classes, particularly in math, reading, writing. And so I had to take those plus my college material, which was not an easy task, you know, because a lot of times there's a stigma that comes with taking those lower remedial or developmental courses. You know, kids call you stupid, you know, like, oh, you're in the class with the dummies. You know, I mean, I mean that's. That's how you feel because you're, you're an adult taking classes that are basically for elementary, middle, and maybe even high school kids, right? And so you it might be motivational issues. So I had a lot of, you know, I had to go through a lot of barriers psychologically to, to break through it. But I had a lot of great, uh, great faculty members, you know, include you know that just were staff and college and peers that were just pouring love into me. Like, look, you could do this. And once I started believing it, then I was like, wait, I can't do this. And so I just kept working hard and it's like a little train, choo, choo. You know, I just kept, you know, thinking to myself, I can do this. I'll, I'll, I will. I can. And next thing I know, six years, I had my uh, undergrad and then I went for my master's at DePaul University in Chicago. Uh, loved it. Great experience. I was still a little bit behind academically, but uh, my, I think my success record and character spoke for itself. So they let me in on probation. I got in and. Uh, excelled and I went on to get my PhD that took seven years and I had two professors that uh, that failed me and told me that uh, I should do something different that that uh, the PhD was you know pretty much not for me and um, failed me and uh, I told them that they didn't know who I was and that um, I was gonna come back and pass because um, that's just my nature is you know once I learned to read uh, no one was gonna stop me from from my goal or my vision and so uh, those two professors uh, Dr. Strop and Dr. Uh, Terry, yeah, I called them out. You know, they they failed me, and uh, but I kept I kept persevering. I just kept moving. I kept believing in myself. Well, that makes sense or not? It makes great sense. With Dr. Robinson, uh, yeah. you had a wonderful mom that was had you back, really work work for you and with you. But how does a student who doesn't have that great parent, the parent is overwhelmed or whatnot, just you know whatever the deal is at home, how yeah. does a student overcome dyslexia? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a tricky question, man, because there's a lot of variables that go into it, right? There's 
the first thing is, is accessibility, right? Or access to stuff like are, are the kids getting um, the access in school that they need? If they're not, then, you know, um, are they getting something outside of school? We know that a lot of parents, families can't afford, you know, private tutoring. And so then that puts students and families in a difficult situation because they're not getting access to something because of the cost and it's not affordable. And so that's one thing there too, right? And then you think about the school system, a lot of debate between whole language phonics and, you know, adults fighting amongst each other, like little kids in the sandbox about toy dump trucks. It's like, look, no, let's give the kids what they need to be successful, right? Like I can drive from Wisconsin to Chicago. I can, I can fly. I can take a bus. There's multiple routes for me to get from Wisconsin to Chicago. The same way to teach a kid. There's multiple routes. And so we shouldn't be arguing about which route is better. We should be providing what's, you know, multiple strategies. So the kid opens his toolbox like a, a tools, you know, like a mechanic. He has multiple tools to use to get to the, the ultimate go- end goal is reading, becoming confident. That makes sense? It makes a lot of sense, but if you but if you don't have that teacher, that principal, that school district who really who is really looking out for students who are, even have some form of dyslexia, because my understanding maybe one in five uh, people have some form of dyslexia. I know, I know I got something like that, and if you don't have those people looking after you or evaluating you, you're just going to. And I say that because before I finish, uh, ask you my uh, final question or, or have you do a final statement. You know Chicago very well. The crime here has been like, you know, you know, internationally known. Places like yeah. Chicago has a lot of crime. But even in Madison, where you are, I, it was a horrible, I'm not going to mention the crime. It was a horrible crime. Some teenagers killed some people. It was terrible. And I bet you a lot of people, not all, who, who people commit crime or in jail, a lot of those young men have some form of dyslexia. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think nationally, uh, roughly, uh, don't quote me on this. I think it's like 80 to 85% or higher of incarcerated, uh, you know, uh, adults or, or even maybe even juveniles um, are illiterate. They're literally, you know, um, you know, can be identified as having dyslexia. So, um, yes, um, that's, that's, is a problem, you know, is that kids who um, are making, you know, decisions that impact their life forever. Um, I would say nine out of 10 of them, you, you will find, or one out of five would have, uh, you know, some sort of uh, severe uh, learning disability that was undiagnosed, and uh, they were rather diagnosed with having a behavior issue, which then puts them in a different classification and category. And so, for even for young uh, African American boys, uh, they are three to five times more likely than their white counterparts in the K twelve system to be identified as uh, EBD. So. There you go right there. You know, three to five five times more likely to identify as having a behavioral disorder than their counterparts. Well, that sends a message right there with these young black kids, you know, or, you know, urban, rural, like you're not, you're destined for for other things outside of the academy. Like they're already, you know, painting a picture of you being a criminal or behavior so you, you respond to your environment and you respond to how people treat you that makes sense and it just could be a dyslexia issue that could be you know solved so dr robinson i cannot thank you enough for being a guest on the on the podcast but You're leave welcome. leave us leave uh, leave the parents whoever's listening educators who are listening with a little hope and wisdom that we can help young people and it's a lot especially a lot of boys who have dyslexia and help them it, it, we can help people with dyslexia students with dyslexia give us some hope dr robinson uh, you know, it just you gotta, you know, 
you have a dream, you just got to keep going after it. You got to chase after it with a vision. You know, you just got to believe in yourself and invest in your time and shift your mindset, you know, from what you can't do to what you can do. If you think about it, hope, right? Let's think about the word hope real quick, right? The H stands for help. In our lifetime, no matter what we go through, we always got to either get help, we're going to be a helper, or we're going to be helping somebody, right? Like, always help. The O is for opportunities, right? We got to give kids opportunities for them to, uh, you know, really excel, right? Regardless if it's in the classroom, outside the classroom, they got to feel good about themselves, shift the mindset about how they see themselves. The P, right, is progress, right? We help kids, give them opportunity. We see them making progress, right? That's the key is let them see progress. A little train, choo-choo, just keep moving, right? But the E is probably one of the most powerful ones is that you're, you're empowering students. You're giving them a voice. You're giving them hope. You're empowering them. They believe that they can be successful. They believe that can be achievers. They can believe that any vision that they set out for, they can take, go after it. And if they don't reach it, hey, at least I tried it. But, you know, let them be the ones that own their own future versus us trying to own their future for them. <laughs>